Advent on Air, the science of type 2 inflammation on the go. Welcome to Advent on Air, a podcast featuring conversations between leading experts on the science of type 2 inflammation. In today's episode, you'll hear Professors Witzke Falkins and Joachim Mujol discuss the clinical significance of the loss of smell in patients with severe, uncontrolled, chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps, or CRS with NP. The speakers are being compensated by Sanofi and Regeneron in connection with this program. Hello, I'm Professor Witzke Falkens from the Amsterdam University Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and today I'm joined by Professor Joachim Riol from Barcelona for a discussion about the importance of the sense of smell for our patients with nasal polyps, chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps. Joachim, would you kindly introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Thank you, Wiske. I am Joachim Muyal. I'm an ENT specialist and rhinologist working at Hospital Clinic in Barcelona, also in Edivabs, and I'm mainly dedicated to uh, the, the sense of smell issues. Thank you for that. As we all know, our olfactory system, the part of the body that serves the sense of smell, has many important functions. It helps people to determine what to eat, influences taste, and affects socialization. We will come back to that later for sure. Smell also provides a warning for hazardous evidence such as fires or gas leaks. Although for patients with lots of smell and their ENT doctors, the impact of the condition was certainly recognized already for many years, uh, the COVID epidemia now made it uh, absolutely clear to the whole population what the impact is of loss of smell and how it decreases the quality of life. Joachim, how prevalent is loss of smell in your patients with uncontrolled chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps? And how would you describe the impact on their quality of life? Well, in studies done in the general population have shown that the impact of loss of smell due to different causes is it has a, a variety of numbers. It goes from 5 to 20% of the population. If we center the population with patients with chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps, uh, loss of smell is very, very prevalent, uh, higher than 60% of this population. And it grows from uh, total loss, that is anosmia, to partial loss, that is hyposmia. However, uh, this prevalence may increase depending on, on different issues. For example, depending on the severity of the disease. A loss of smell is linked to that. As uh, much higher is the severity, uh, much higher is the loss of smell and also to comorbidities, mainly to respiratory comorbidities with the same uh, type of inflammation, which are asthma and uh, aspirin intolerance. As you said before, chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps has a, a great impact on quality of life. And this is also associated with the loss of smell, but also with other problems, such as mental health problems affecting a cognitive decline, anxiety, 
or even depression. And this is something that until you see patients with loss of smell, you don't really realize. Can I just ask you, you know, I never realized the years before, you know, I thought the depression and the bad feeling, the, the impact on quality of life was based on the blocked nose and the headache, etc. And it took me quite a while to understand how important smell actually is and what the impact is on smell on, for example, all the unconscious things. Uh, the things we usually do not realize, for example, that we choose our partner based on smell. And that so much of our social interaction is actually based on smell. Can, can you discuss that a little bit more? Yeah, well, uh, some people think that losing the smell uh, is not important. And uh, some others could say, well, uh, for the things that you have to smell in this life, uh, to losing the smell is not, is not a big deal. And you have set an important issue is the, the, the human relationships. Uh, a smell is a link uh, very important between the mother and the son when they are small and also uh, to avoid problems uh, uh, with uh, chemical issues such as uh, gas leaking uh, in the kitchen or spoiled food in the... Uh, we always use the nose to identify that and we have realized that People without the smell uh, uh, usually have this kind of problems. Intoxication with food, uh, problems with gas leaking, some accidents, and uh, a lack of relationship with their uh, family, with the son, with the husband, with the wife, and whatever. And that may affect the quality of life of people very, very much. So we see a major impact of loss of smell on quality of life. But we have to understand a lot more about how that actually occurs in patients with chronic sinusitis with nasal polyps. And I know you have done a lot of work on what exactly is the role of inflammation in loss of smell. And I would really like to hear a little bit more about uh, the different models you work, you and others worked on about inflammation and loss of smell. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Well, we have to say that investigation, real good investigation on the mechanism involved in the loss of smell and in the recovery of the loss of smell in different diseases is still lacking. Not only in chronic sinusitis without, uh, with or without nasal polyps, but also in other diseases, which is very prevalent, for example, in Parkinson or in trauma brain injury, and for example, in infections. Uh, we you mentioned it before, COVID that has created a big impact, affecting sixty to seventy percent of the people with infections. So it's important to understand that loss of smell in patients with coronavirus with nasal polyps is mainly caused by inflammation and not many indeed thoughts and some still think by nasal blockage. So we understand that it's much more inflammation than blockage. Can you elucidate a little bit more about other types of uh, type 2 inflammation, other comorbidities and severity of the disease and how that impacts uh, the, the, uh, the smell of 
Yes, you are totally right. I mean, uh, in the past and even today, many doctors, uh, they say that uh, obstruction is the main cause. But uh, sometimes you, you don't see polyps in patients that have been operated uh, and uh, you don't see much polyps there and still the patients have an important loss of smell because the problem is in the olfactory cleft, in the inflammation that you, we can find it. And maybe the obstruction of the olfactory cleft could be one of the reasons that is mainly associated to loss of smell. But loss of smell is present in most of, of the chronic sinusitis uh, patients, but several studies have shown that this loss of smell is worse and even reaching anosmia, total loss of smell, in patients with severe disease. Severity is, is a very, very much linked with high levels of loss of smell. Have, some other studies have uh, shown that correlation, there is some correlation between the loss of smell and nasal biomarkers of inflammation. But much, much recently, three or four years ago, in the University of Chicago, they demonstrated that there is a strong link between the presence of type 2 inflammation uh, determined by different markers, but very close to what we know uh, on the concept of eosinophilic chronic rhinosinusitis, uh, is very much linked to loss of smell. And that was a very important finding. This loss of, of smell, of course, is found highly present with a clear increase in the proportion of anosmic patients in patients that have comorbidities. Comorbidities, and when we talk comorbidities, we are talking mainly with type 2 comorbidities, those that are affecting the, the olfactory system indirectly or directly, such as uh, asthma and aspirin intolerance, that probably these are the most severe patients, the more patients that have severe loss of smell and also higher levels of uh, type 2 biomarkers. Mainly in, in patients with aspirin intolerance, also it has been found that other um, biomarkers such as ecosanoids, for example, low level of PGE2 and high level of LTC4, have been associated to loss of smell. Uh, that includes very much in patients with aspirin intolerance, what we call it NERD patients, they have high proportions of anosmia uh, measured by OPSID, what is an smell test, that is very much linked to this low expression of PGE2. And this is one of the, the, the some studies, but other studies can be conducted in this, in this area. Yeah, and also, of course, in these very severe patients, you very often see that the loss of smell is not improved by surgeries and then patients say well you know I, I lost my smell because of the surgeries which of course usually is not the case but they lost the smell because of the severe inflammation which is of course correlated to the number of surgeries performed in these patients and of course it happens that the EMT surgeon actually damages the olfactory region but I think much more often it's because of the very severe inflammation that patients become anosmic. Well, I think we clearly established that the sense of smell is very important. And if something is important, we want to monitor that in our clinic. Joachim, how do you assess smell in your clinic? 
Well, as you well know, uh, there is not uh, uh, unified ways in different countries to use the same uh, test for, for smell. Each country uh, have their own test or each some regions, we have several. Here in Barcelona, we use uh, a smell test that have been developed in Spain, called um, BAS24 or Bo on BOT8. But also we, we have used other tests. We don't use, for example, sniffing sticks in daily basis, but we have used opposite in clinical trials because this is unified in different parts of the world. It has to be used a unique test. That doesn't mean that this is the best test, of course. And also uh, uh, what we can do, on, uh, more and more we perform uh, as not 22, a quality of, of life questionnaire, and in this questionnaire, there is an item for this, mainly for the smell and flavor, although it says taste, that we can use it also uh, to assess the, the, the sense of smell in our patients. But mainly, and for us, and for daily clinical practice in all visits, we use VAS scores. We have been using VAS scores, that is a line, a horizontal line of 0 to 10 centimeters, to measure the severity, but not only the severity of the disease, but also the progression, the control. But uh, we use that for to assess the sense of smell. And it's very fast. The patients understand what you are asking them to do it, and they, use, they do it in, in 20 seconds. And we have a, a very good tool that is very good and very fast to be used in daily clinical practice. Yeah. We, we use sniffing sticks in all situations where it's really important. I fully agree with you that, uh, although I think we agree that doing smell testing is absolutely the preferred method, uh, it's not always feasible uh, and cannot be feasible because of time or financial constraints to do smell testing in, in daily uh, practice. And especially if you want to do a more extended smell testing, I think that's hardly feasible in any uh, apart from research setting. I totally agree with you. We do the same. We, we do VAF scoring and SNOT22, uh, and that's a very good alternative in, in a daily clinical practice if smell testing is not, uh, is not possible, not feasible. Well, I think this is already the end of this podcast, Joachim. Is there anything you would like to add before we finalize the podcast? Well, only uh, a last sentence saying that mainly ENT doctors uh, should assess the sense of smell in their patients and mainly if they have chronic sinusitis or severe with association with asthma, aspirin tolerance and whatever, because uh, the loss of smell is a very good marker of, of severity of the disease, not only in chronic sinusitis, but also in allergic tonitis in TBI, in, in Parkinson's disease, and so on. And it's very easy. If you start doing that by VAS, that is very fast, and you don't, you don't need to spend much time, as you said before, doing a smell test. That will be the next step, and only for centers that have the availability of doing a smell test. Yeah, I kind of agree more. And also, if you ask whether there is smell loss, you can help the patient to explain what the consequences are. The, the number of times I ask a patient, do you actually have smoke detectors in your house? And they say, no. 
and they can't smell anything. So, you know, simple things like explaining what the consequences of smell loss are, what practicalities you have to do, how you have to handle uh, potentially uh, bad foods, but also risk of fire, I think is, is a very important task of ENT surgeons in their clinic, which, has, which is often neglected. Thank you very much, Kim, for um, sharing your insight, for sharing all your knowledge and the insightful discussion on the burden and clinical relevance of lot of smell for our patients with coronal grinder sinusitis. And thank you, audience, for listening to Advent on Air, providing the signs of type 2 inflammation on the go. We hope you tune in to other episodes of Advent podcast series on disease with underlying type 2 inflammation. If you have learned something from this, please leave a review and subscribe to Advent on Air to hear our new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and the adventprogram.com. Thank you very much for listening. 